But the reality is you can't do philosophy without already having a set of presuppositions driving your philosophical uh, assumptions or bent to arguments. It's only going to be two authorities that we're operating out of. We're going to either be operating out of a divine authority, true divine authority, or we're going to be operating out of the usurper's authority. sure we've all heard this label at least once or twice in our lives. They are a jack of all trades, master of none. Now, on the surface, that sounds like it might be an okay label to know a little bit about everything. But as we begin today's broadcast here on Way of Grace, Pastor Jessica Stand will remind us that, well, that's not God's way. We are to be masters of grace, masters of his love and kindness. We are to be masters of a couple of things, and not nothing and just a little bit of knowledge about everything. You see, that's dangerous. And that's what we're learning here in Genesis chapter 3. Join us today, won't you, for Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan from Grace Bible Church in Hayward. Here's Jesse with today's broadcast. You know how you meet people that just, they span the world of all of the subjects that go on in the world. I just want to learn a little bit about everything. No, you don't. No, you don't. You want to learn a lot about one or two things. You don't want, no one can ever get a, a, an accurate and legitimate degree in any science that does not go deep into that science. And you cannot afford to uh, ban- banter about, run the roads and get all wrapped up in this and that and be competent in that science that you're being called to. Am I making some sense? And the child of God doesn't get to meander in all kind of wild, bizarre, extreme philosophies and think that you are going to be a theologian. You won't. You'll be a jack of all trades and a master of none and we'll know it. By how many times you're duped by the devil. Now, am I making some sense? It's extremely important that you, that you know that God is a narrow way God. And his people need to be a narrow way people. God is a narrow way God. He's not a broad way God. Jesus warns you about the broad way. He's a narrow way God. And, and, and people of God ought not to be ashamed of only knowing a few things. The world is saved by people who only know a few things. You are the best when you know what you know, and then you can help society. I don't need to know you if you only read through one third of the Chilton uh, automotive uh, manual. You ain't going to help me when it's time for me to ask you, do you understand anything about map sensors and, 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 and barometric sensors? I ain't never heard of that. Get away from my car. I know how to change tires. I ain't asking you to change the tires. I got a code in my system that's saying I need an engineer to deal with my car at that level. Don't be taking my wheels off. Let me get on back to the point at hand. Christians will not be helpful when you're jack of all trades and a master of none. Because I can tell you the world that the devil runs is making PhDs out of his liars at the ground level up. Am I making some sense? 
It's extremely important for, for you to know that. So what we're dealing with in this narrative is that the devil has caught Eve insufficient in her knowledge of God, and he's taken it to another level. He says, in the day that you eat thereof, you won't surely die. Listen to this. He says, for God knows that when you eat, your eyes will be opened. See, so now he's an angel of light. He's teaching her how to see deeper things. He's letting her know that if she advances into his school of evilology, her eyes will be opened up. We have many historical examples of these kind of pagan cultic groups. Gnosticism is like your fundamental term. Okay, Gnosticism is the idea that you obtain salvation by higher echelons of secret knowledge. Right. And so what's happening here is Eve is buying into a set of propositions that really indicates that she was insufficiently prepared to go to war with the devil. It also indicated that she was not content with God. We're about to see that. We're about to see that. And so under subpoint uh, D, the outcome is a false vision. Listen to what happens over in verse six. Are you there? And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food. Now, do you see that? Now, we don't really need that to know that the tree was good for food. Because God had already told us it may be good for food, but it's not good for food for you. So now all of a sudden, this woman who had just said a minute ago, right, don't even touch the tree, which is where we're going, let alone eat it. Do you see in just a picosecond how her perspective of the tree has changed? Not only now is she not considering her own proposition of don't touch the tree, but now the tree is drawing her in because it's good for food. Y'all get that? Every man is drawn away by his own lust when he is enticed. It's remarkable how her eyes are being opened to a lie. It's remarkable how her eyes are being opened to the very commandment that God told her not to even contemplate. What you just learned in Genesis 2.17 is God says, don't eat of that fruit. Now all of a sudden she's hungry. Now you know what you're dealing with, child of God, right here? It's called temptation. Are you hearing me? Temptation is when you and I are put in the sphere of a situation where something is prohibited to us, for us, by our own authority or by a higher authority. And we have an initial impulse that we should not be anywhere near it. But by and by, because we don't arise, move and go, all of a sudden that situation normalizes. Haven't I told you about being maladjusted to evil? Immediately, Eve is now maladjusted to that tree. Do you see now she is taking God's definition and removing it and putting in Satan's definition. And now the tree to her is good for what? It's not only good for food, that means the lust of the flesh, but it's beautiful to her eyes now. Are y'all hearing me? So this is the pride of life. Because you and I are dealing with that again with social media. Your eyes now get to watch everything. And it draws you in and traps you. Let me see if I can drill down into that for a moment. Telling you the devil is working. He's on his throne. Your master said it in John's gospel. 
starting in chapter 14 and working all the way through chapter 17, that Satan is called the prince of this world. The word prince there means ruler. He's the ruler of this world system. What that means is you and I should be careful every time we go into any portal that man has made. Because any portal that man has made will inevitably have traps and snares for you to keep you there. This is what's going on in the narrative. That's why I'm teaching this one. We've got many accounts like this to deal with. I hope you can hang in there. Because the assignment for us at Grace today is to have the agility to arise, move, and go, particularly when we're in danger. And so here we are dealing with um, what our master has told us. He comes after me and he has a lot to say. Now, think about that. If the majority of what is being said in our world is said by the devil, and there's only a handful of things being said by God, Ought we not to have a predisposition and a bit to listen more to God than to listen to the side of the adversary? Okay, I'm trying to help you guys, trying to help you. And so under the sub point D, notice what happens. This is quite amazing. This is called a false vision. And of course, I would argue and have argued that this world in which we live now has erected a false vision. Everywhere we live, it is a false vision. And that false vision is becoming even more enmeshed in our society. So in order for me to see the truth of our present culture, I have to pierce through the false vision by the reality of God's word and see men and women for who they really are, not according to postmodern, irrational, fantasizing of what people want to be. And you do too. And that's hard to do when you don't have an allegiance to God. See, Eve had, we're going to call her Isha now, because by the time we get to the restoration, we'll call her Eve. She is not Eve yet. She's Isha. She's just a woman. She's just a woman. And this is not about gender at this time. So at this point, you and I can be uh, gender free. We can just gender free ourselves for the moment. The context is not about gender. This is about moral, ethical, spiritual principles at this time. However, because of the hierarchical order, it just happens to be the enemy knew that the weaker vessel would be the woman. Your Bible told you this. Did your Bible tell you this? You can argue all you want to. You strong women in the Lord. You can argue all you want to. The devil knows why he came after her, and we'll deal with that in a moment. And she basically let him in. Okay? This is not about you or you or you. All of us let him in. Now, remember, we are in the post-fall state. So now we're dealing with a false vision. Here's what happens. The text tells us in verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eye, and a tree desired to be made, make one what? She took of the fruit thereof and did what? You got to stop right there. Put that comma there. Don't get in no trouble. You got to stop right there. Because you don't listen to your Bible carefully. You want to keep running through the stop sign. Stop right there. There's a stop. She in a bold face rebellion against her God for going into the wrong classroom has with open hand rebelled against her God, didn't she? Do you see it, children of God? Don't be deluded. She took of the fruit and she ate. Now, God had told her husband, don't eat of the fruit of the tree. Are y'all hearing me? Now, God had told her husband before he made her. So when he made her, 
God could have told her too. I mean, she's God's child. But remember what I told you? That ain't for me. Remember what I told you? Genesis 1 and Genesis 2 is about origin, authority, and order. Do you remember that? This is a narrative prose. You got to think. You got to be covenant people. When we get to chapter 3, order has already been compromised. Are you hearing me? See, when you go, when you go into your garden at the house today, because some of y'all got gardens. When you go into your garden at your house today and you plant around in the bushes and you find a garden snake and he started talking to you, <laughs> understand some things are out of order. And then you're going to be real bad if you talk back. Now we can make the application. Because that's where you and I are. We are in a state of chaos and confusion now. The devil was able to position himself to get her to enter into a dialogue with him. Can I take you a little deeper? We'll come back up, I promise. People always get mad at me for doing this, but this is about life. If you read Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 carefully, which means you have to know something about exegesis. You have to know something about grammar. You have to know something about context. You have to know something about critical theory when it comes to text. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1 is connected to Genesis chapter 2, verse 24, just like chapter 2, 24 is connected to 23, 22, 21, all the way back to verse 1, because chapters and verses are the insertions of human beings to create some kind of order and clarity. Does that make some sense? You read your Bible carefully, a lot of times the chapter breaks are at the wrong place. Take Genesis 3, 1, tie it back to Genesis 3.24 and you get the underlying warning. Listen to Genesis 3.24. We'll look at Genesis 3.1 and I'll keep moving while I've got you guys for a good 30 minutes. Listen. So God, Genesis 2.24, please. Genesis 2.24. This is the last verse before we get into Genesis 3.1, right? So do you know when you have, if you ever get a Bible that is uh, free of chapters and verses, they're just running narratives. Both the Old Testament and the New. We add the verses and the chapters. This is why none of the theologians in the Bible ever say uh, it was written in Genesis chapter 324. All the prophets simply go, it is written. You're getting ready to learn that. They didn't know anything about chapters and verses. So you're learning something today. Worship should teach you. It should teach you. And especially that book we call the sword of the Lord that we should be wielding. We should know something about our sword, shouldn't we? Listen very carefully. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall do what to his wife? And they shall be what? That's right. Now we're dealing with the covenant of man and woman in terms of God's plan in Genesis 1, 26 and 27. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness. Let them subdue, replenish, fill the earth. And so God made them in his image, male and female created he them in the image of God created he him. And then we have the mystery of the man and the woman in this covenant framework we always use when we marry people, right? For this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and cleave to his wife. The twain shall become what? One flesh. Does that make sense? We know theology. We know this is pointing to Christ in the church. Do we know that? Look at verse 25. And they were both what? And they were both what? And they were both what? 
three times out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every word be established. Getting ready to teach you something. The word naked there is the word subtle in chapter three, verse one. That's our Hebrew term, arum, arum. In our context here in verse 25, arumin is a plural form of the arum, which means in the same way that Adam and Eve are naked before God. And we largely uh, view that in terms of physical nakedness. In chapter three, verse one, there is a compatibility factor between the snake and mankind in that they are both creatures that are created naked. Did you get what I just stated? I don't know what kind of snake you're looking at in your head. Have you ever thought in your mind of a hairy snake? Naked in that physically they are bare. When a human being is born into the world, they're born bare with just a little hair on their head. And we never ever grow so much hair that our hair could be our covering. Are you keeping up with me? So the nakedness of the man and woman is a a, a, a condition by which God himself has to take care of them in relationship to their physicality because it's incompatible with the world, particularly after the fall. This is why he closed them with what? Coats of skin. We're not there yet. I'm trying to build an argument with you that something was given to us by revelation in verse 25 of chapter two that tells us why it was so easy for the woman to have a conversation with a snake. Chapter three, verse one says, chapter three, verse one says, now the serpent was more naked than any other beast of the field. Did you get that? That's our word. Some of y'all can look it up real quick, just in case I told you I'm not teaching you heresy. You just got to learn how words work. Now, the serpent was more naked than any other beast of the field. So obviously, on a physical level, objectively, there's some compatibility. This is why in all of your all of your Anglo oriented pictures of Adam and Eve, they're naked. Got some leaves running around some stuff. And the serpent is running down through the tree. Is that right? And they're right close to each other. Is that true? Right. You see no other animals drawing near to them. Because the other animals physically are very much different in their physicality, in their form, in their phenotype than Adam and Eve. Does that make some sense? The other truth that you need to get here while we're laying it down is that you and I have to still be careful about what we don't know about the pre-fall conditions of the world. I've taught us this for the longest. Adam and Eve are not like you and me in their original creational design. They're not as stupid as you and me. I know we want to use the, we want to use the evolutionary paradigm and go back to them, and go like apes. I know, I know. But see, apes and gorillas are born hairy. So uh, there's a real difference between human beings and their so-called, you know, primate cousins on a lot of levels. God's word is right. Now here's the problem. When God made Adam and Eve naked and bare and, and, and their skin very, uh, very open, as it were, naked, it made them have a compatibility with the snake. 
Secondly, because it was their mission to actually name the animals, have authority over them, to guide and control them, there was no, listen, there was no enmity. The enmity only came later in the proto-evangel. What that means is Eve was comfortable around snakes. Are you with me? Now, let me keep going because God's sovereign, isn't he? God warned her about the snake. Where, pastor? In Genesis 2, verse 17, when he said, don't mess with that tree. I told you when you're listening to wisdom, wisdom is always inferred, is not explicit because he expects his children to be catechized. He expects his children to be catechized. That is taught. When you're properly taught, here's what you know. If daddy tells me don't eat of the fruit of that tree, then he's already warned me about that snake. Say amen if I'm making some sense. Because I know I'm cutting against the flesh right now. I'd much rather daddy tell me that stop sign is not to be crossed, which is called transgression. Because I don't want you to experience the calamity that comes with it. Now, when I cross that stop line, stop sign in that diesel truck with that brother in there that just fell asleep for 10 seconds hits me. I don't get to go to daddy and say, daddy, why didn't you tell me about that diesel truck coming? I did, son. I told you don't cross that stop sign. Ladies and gentlemen, this is called wisdom. And wisdom is justified of her children. I'm getting ready to teach you something. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents experiential knowledge without the fear of God. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil represents the choice for mankind to determine what good and evil is based upon their own experience rather than upon a relationship with God where God tells you what good and evil is and not you determine it on the grounds of subjective experiential bias, which again is postmodernism today. You don't have an authority, they say, that can speak to you from a superposition that tells you what's right and wrong. You have to figure this out on your own. Doesn't that sound like the teacher in the classroom that Eve has inadvertently went into? Exactly. Here's another thing you need to know about grammar if you understood the grammar, which I'm sure you don't, but that's why you're supposed to have competent pastors. Genesis chapter 3 verse 1 gives us a construction of verse that infers that the snake has been talking to Eve a few times hence. Yeah, this makes sense to me. It's in what we call the cow imperfect verb form. Now the serpent was more naked than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made and he was saying unto the woman. In perfect verb form. Anybody who knows grammar in Latin or in Greek, they know this. It's true in the Hebrew. The imperfect verb form is that a conversation has started and it hasn't ended yet. An action has started, but it hasn't ended yet. Most theologians agree with me. That's wrong because I'm, I'm the latter and I agree with them. That based upon that verb form, 
It is very logical that because there was no divine enmity put between the woman and the snake, she would have been used to being around snakes. And inherent in the mystery here is the idea that at some point she allowed herself to entertain the chaos and turning of things upside down where she is now being taught by a snake rather than teaching him, which she was called to do. Well, you have been listening to Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stand from Grace Bible Church here in Hayward. If you have questions or comments about the program, maybe you would like to learn more about us here at Grace Bible Church in Hayward. Reach out to us by simply calling 510-886-9782, or you can visit our website, grace-bible.com. That's grace-bible.com. Sunday services here at the church are 1030 in the morning. Friday evening is our Friday evening Bible study at 630. And man, we've got friends of the ministry from all over the Bay Area who join us for this Friday night Bible study. It is an amazing time of God's Word and sweet fellowship in Christ. 630 in the evening Tuesdays, our prayer time and a short Bible study as well. These meetings, again, the directions and information of which you can find at our website, grace-bible.com, or by calling 510-886-9782. This program continues to air here on this radio station and on the World Wide Web because you partner with us financially and prayerfully. Thank you for your support. No gift is too small. No gift is too large. And you can either give on a monthly basis or it's a one-time gift. It is all tax deductible. And again, the biggest part of your partnership with us is that we get to continue ministering the gospel of grace here in the Bay Area and all over the world. Consider that as you contact us and join us again next time for another broadcast of Way of Grace with Pastor Jessica Stan.